the Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky team. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Wash my hands. I don't touch my face. I stay at home. Shelter in place. Social distance. Don't go to work I wear a mask and gloves Stay away from church I avoid old folks And should I sneeze I do it in my elbow Or up my sleeve Six feet apart can go back to school I'm washing my hands like a raccoon with OCD I've watched Hulu Roku, Netflix PBS and the BBC I've taken down all my mirrors and I'm sick of what I see of quarantine will be the death of me me. I risk a trip to the grocery store to buy TV and a few things more but when I get there all I can find Sixteen honey buns and some mad dog wine. I'm washing my hands like a raccoon with OCD. I've watched Hulu, Roku, Netflix, PBS, and the BBC. I've taken down all my mirrors, cause I'm sick of what I see. So this quarantine's gonna be the death of me. The death of me. You know, they say this is war. But we don't have to storm Omaha Beach or Pork Chop Hill. And we just lay here on the couch and watch TV. 
I'd rather volunteer for a high-risk commando raid to parachute into Wuhan and find that little fellow that ordered that bat soup. I know I'm talking out of my head, saying crazy stuff over and over like, yes, dear, yes, dear. At breakfast, I meant to say, honey, please pass me the pepper. Well, what slipped out was, you crazy woman, you've ruined my life. <laughs> of course, I immediately apologized. <laughs> As soon as I regain consciousness. The Tom Summer Program.com. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, this is the Tom Sumner Program, and my guest this hour is the author of a book that. Um, that must be good because it's got a really hard title to pronounce. Um, <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> it's it's uh, Sacred Gathas of Zarathustra and the Old Aviston Canon is the name of the book. The name of the author is um, Pablo Vasquez, who joins me by phone. Pablo, good morning and welcome to the show. Yeah, good morning to you, Tom. Thanks for having me. So, um are you um, a big fan of tongue twisters? <laughs> you know, I get asked that all the time in my field, particularly. I mean, studying an ancient uh, dead language, uh, you know, makes it uh, hard to get other people to pronounce the things that seem to come naturally to me now after years of study. Well, you know, what? which dead language is it that you are researching and studying? Because it looked like Greek to me. Oh, of course. Uh, <laughs> see, it's, you're not too far off. It, it's a cousin language in the whole old Indo-European scale of things. But Avestan is the predecessor of every Iranic uh, Persianate language. That means... Uh, most languages spoken in Central Asia, Iran, Afghanistan, uh, Kurdish, and so forth, uh, they all descend from Avestan, which was probably last spoken uh, as a common language around uh, anywhere between 2,000 to 3,000, uh, possibly even further to 4,000 years ago, which would have been around the time that uh, Zarathustra uh, was alive himself. And and who was Zarathustra? That's probably the only word in the title of your book that I, I actually had seen before. Of course, yeah. I mean, it, Zarathustra is, uh, is sort of very familiar to the West in a variety of ways. Uh, if it's not through Nietzsche, uh, who, you know, labeled his, uh, one of his magnum opuses, uh, you know, uh, also Sprach Zarathustra, and also uh, through classical music, uh, uh, Thus Spake Zarathustra was used as the opening theme for 2001 A Space Odyssey. And so Zarathustra, who he was, was about 3,000 or 4,000 years ago, uh, he was a poet priest that existed in the Central Asian steppes, uh, around the northern Iranic areas, and uh, basically he was tired of what seemed to be uh, the violence and the unsettledness of his age. 
Uh, he complains a lot about people killing livestock for no reason, killing people for no reason. And he wanted to set things right. So he basically reformed the religion of his age, uh, which was basically um, a combination of what we know today as Zoroastrianism, but back then it also had influences from, say, uh, a vast majority of uh, northern proto-Vedic influences and also uh, involved elements like stuff that Zarathustra complains about, too much sacrifice, uh, rampant drunkenness by the priests, uh, and a little bit too much emphasis on cattle rustling and violence. While it seems like he was, uh, you know, castigating what seems to be like a perfect religion for a cowboy, he looked more for like, how should we say it, uh, a more settled, a more civilized way of living. And so he helped develop uh, Zoroastrianism through what he considered to be uh, direct relevatory insights uh, with Ahura Mazda, which is the chief god of Zoroastrianism, the highest god. And uh, he uh, developed a system of ethics and uh, spirituality that ended up influencing a vast majority of different faiths and philosophies. Well, I'd, I'd like to get, um, if, I, if I could, Pablo, get you to share sort of a synopsis of the book. But I want to pick the title apart a little bit first. Um, what are the sacred gathas? Sure. The sacred gathas are, the best way to describe them is that they are evocative poetry. Uh, They're prose poetry in a sense. Um, They're very short. Uh, My book is, in fact, hold on, let me pick up a copy here. Only about uh, 60 or so pages long. Um, and that still covers the entire Gathas and the rest of the old Avestan canon that surrounds it. So the Gathas themselves are both spiritual lessons and almost a personal journal of Zarathustra. Uh, on one hand, he'll say, you know, uh, violence and oppression uh, are unvirtuous and not a way to live. And on the other hand, he'll complain about how tired he is, how uh, unable he is uh, to see how his message could spread. Uh, you know, basically the complaints of anyone doing uh, hard work for little pay, so to speak. Um, mm. And the Gothas themselves uh, have survived the test of time. They were passed down orally at first for almost about 2,000, 3,000 years, uh, and then recorded um, around uh, the beginning of the uh, first millennium CE. And the Gathas themselves, they're, they're beautiful. If anyone is a fan of sort of spiritual poetry, if you like Rumi, if you like reading the Quran, if you like reading the Songs of Solomon, uh, the Gathas definitely uh, are along that same sort of line. Beautiful heartwarming and heartrending as well, moving and uh, wonderful poetry for sure. And how does the old Avestan canon um, tie into these so as to be included in in the book? Yeah, so uh, there are two variations of Avestan. 
One is old Avestan and the other one is young Avestan. So old Avestan is what I concentrated on in translating these texts. Uh, old Avestan is what's considered to be the language that Zarathustra himself used and the first Zoroastrian community. So the only texts that exist in old Avestan are um, the Gathas themselves, uh, the Yasna Hatangaiti, which is the worship ritual, uh, the liturgy of the first Zoroastrian fellowship, uh, Zarathustra's first followers. Uh, it's assumed that he may have written this as well, composed it as well. Um, and four prayers that surround also the text, known as the sacred mantras, uh, similar to the uh, Hindic term mantra, uh, but with an H instead. Uh, the sacred mantras, there's four of them. They, uh, two at the beginning of the text and, uh, yeah, two at the end. And basically, uh, these are the entirety of the old Avestan language that still survives to us. So, uh, once someone is able to get over the strange and ancient grammar, uh, it becomes fairly easy because the language is fairly limited to, actually translated. But, um, yeah, that is the old Avestan canon, basically, uh, encapsulated in these uh, three uh, major categories. Pablo, how did you first get interested in in these texts and studying them? And, and I'm guessing you didn't find them in a suitcase in the attic. <laughs> no, it's... Uh, <laughs> It's it, it's funny. Um, I've long had an interest for uh, spirituality. I was raised in a uh, very sort of uh, spiritual and free thinking household, and uh, which encouraged me to explore and learn. So uh, I started attending a whole bunch of uh, interfaith events. One of the major ones that got me on this path was uh, the Parliament of the World's Religions. Um, it's a sort of traveling giant interfaith event with over. 10,000, sometimes 15,000 people in attendance, uh, representing hundreds of different faith traditions. And one of the ones that was there was uh, Zoroastrianism. And I couldn't believe it. Uh, in schools, uh, you know, we can say what we want about public education, but sometimes it's not the most accurate. Um, Zoroastrianism was taught as a sort of dead religion of the old Persian empires. Uh, but here they were, uh, you know, alive and well and handing out literature. So I approached them. I talked to them, I took the literature, they gave me a whole bunch uh, to read, which included a different translation of the Gathas. Uh, immediately I was hooked. Uh, you know when you are you find something you weren't sure you were looking for? That, that was definitely that moment for me. <laughs> it, uh, it appealed to me both uh, spiritually and academically. Uh, so I ended up uh, not just uh, going to get my uh, master's degree in Zoroastrian studies, I also ended up uh, converting uh, to Zoroastrianism in about 2018. Uh, so, yes, uh, that's been uh, sort of my path of interest. I learned of Vestin actually at university. I went to SOAS University of London in the UK, uh, which has uh, the world's premier institute for the study of Zoroastrianism. And uh, I was very lucky to study under some of the experts in the field and also meet and uh, discuss with uh, some elders, Russian laity and clergy uh, to figure out further in my projects and research, including this very book. 
More with author Pablo Vasquez. Straight ahead. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiians. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Hello. Speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. 
Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to Tom Sumner Program. More with author Pablo Vasquez straight ahead. What influence has um, Zarathustra had on contemporary religions, given the the age of these texts and when they first appeared in print? Yeah, it's so it's very fascinating because it's sort of uh, the unspoken fire behind so many different traditions. Um, I'll I'll explore just a handful of major ones here. Sure, but uh, with Judy. Judaism, um, uh, Cyrus, the great uh, Persian Achaemenid uh, emperor, who himself was a Zoroastrian, uh, is mentioned in uh, the Old Testament uh, as a liberator and as a messiah of the Jewish people. Uh, the interactions that uh, Zoroastrianism had with Judaism during this time, and even before it, during the Babylonian captivity, uh, allowed for a change in Judaism, and even we see it uh, in some of the uh, very same uh, figures mentioned in the Gathas appear in Judaism. So, for example, uh, there is uh, a deva, sort of a a dark, demonic force of sorts, uh, mentioned in the Gathas, known as Aishma, uh, who is uh, a wrath being of sorts, uh, or representative of wrath itself. Um, Aishma is in the Judaic canon known as Asmodeus, and uh, that is a name, uh, you know, fairly familiar to sort of anyone who's watched sort of horror movies, I suppose, in the past 20 years, but it came out of uh, the Judaic canon, which then in- was inspired by the Zoroastrian canon. So uh, not just that, various theologies, uh, ideas of a possible afterlife, the coming of a messiah, and so forth. And this goes on further to uh, to Christianity, where in Christianity uh, we see Zoroastrianism further uh, acknowledged, uh, which at the time of the birth of Jesus and his life, it, it would have been the major world religion. So uh, we see it in the, the arrival of the three wise men, uh, to greet Jesus in the Gospels, uh, who are known traditionally as Magi, and are noted as Magi in the text. And so Magoi is the term. And uh, the Magi uh, were the priestly caste of ancient Zoroastrianism in the times of the Persian empires. This is so, fascinating, um, Pablo, because most of what, you know, what we've been taught and what we've learned with regard to uh, Christianity and Christ suggests the the only real organized I don't I don't know if organized is the right word but but traditional religion was mm-hmm. Judaism. Ah yeah, see uh, that is a that's a common mispons- uh, misconception we have. Even I, even uh, even it, so much as people say Christ was a Jew. Yes, yes. So uh in what I would say, in ancient times, uh, they had a completely different conception of religion than what we have now. Our conception is very 
uh, walled in. You know, if you're a Christian, you're only a Christian. If you believe in the Greek gods, you're only a Greek a God believer. If you're a Muslim, you're a Muslim, what have you. But back then, uh, syncretism and the uh, movement, free movement of spiritual knowledge back and forth was not just common, but sort of expected. We have various texts, archaeological evidence, and so forth, showing even early Christians combining uh, their faith with other practices in the area. But the the major religious traditions of the time uh, were actually, you know, the Roman state religion, which was inspired, of course, by Greek tradition, um, uh, Egyptian uh, traditional religion, and also uh, Judaism. But basically, it's in the same way that... Uh, one can say belong to a Protestant denomination on the Texas border with Mexico. And Mexico, on the other side, however, is a heavily Catholic country. That's how it must have seemed like for a lot of people in uh, the Roman Empire, because on the other side of that border, and Judea was a border region, uh, was the world's largest empire, which was the Persian Empire, which was heavily Zoroastrian. Uh, at the time, and uh, Zoroastrianism was also different in the sense in that syncretism was not just normal, it was almost encouraged by the empire. You had uh, Armenians who combined their uh, traditional ancient folk deities with Zoroastrianism, uh, and you had even uh, Zoroastrian, uh, you know, uh, government workers who came into places like Judea, Comagene, and so forth to try and get them to basically align their religions a little bit more to Zoroastrianism. So it's uh, it's sort of fascinating because people don't do look back and they say things like, well, Jesus was a Jew, or, you know, which, you know, of course, religiously and ethically, that's what he grew up in. Uh, but Jesus also, and what Christianity became was a mix of so many different traditions, and that includes definitely Zoroastrianism. Let me let me ask a couple a couple of things here, real quick, Pablo. One is, where would um, Greek mythology have fit into the the timeline um, of of Zoroastrianism and at what point did it um, was the notion of a single god or deity introduced into most of the religions that we have today yeah so if we're talking about sort of the Greek literary and mythological and religious tradition with um, multiple gods Yes, yes. So if we're talking about sort of ancient polytheism. Um, so to put it sort of perspective and timeline, Homer uh, is a great author of some of the uh, biggest mythological stories that we have of ancient Greek times. Sure. Uh, lived probably around the 8th century uh, BCE, uh, whereas Zarathustra lived around uh, possibly... 2000 to 1500 BCE. Uh, so uh, Zoroastrianism itself predates possibly 
the forming of even Greek and Roman religion. By the time Zarathustra was first forming the faith, uh, Rome was a backwater city, basically. Um, was it? You said that it 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 um, was passed down in in a kind of oral tradition until it became written down somewhere. Was it landlocked? Uh, so, yes, uh, the original part of the faith. So you have to view it this way. Is that Zeuster was trying to encourage sort of nomadic tribal herdsmen to settle down and uh, form what we now know as civilization, basically. Um, and part of that is because they lived in the uh, Eurasian steppes, Central Asian steppes. And this, is, this area is made most famous by you know, the Mongols, the Scythians, great warrior people on their horses, you know, riding a thousand miles a day. Um, this, uh, this is where Zathusa was, and of course it was definitely landlocked. Uh, the idea of spreading the faith anywhere except to your neighbors was kind of uh, new and innovative by the time the Persian Empire finally grew to reach, uh, you know, the what would be the Indian Ocean and the Mediterranean Sea. Um, but uh, to go back to your earlier question when it comes to uh, Serpotheism and monotheism developing, um, Zoroastrianism and a whole bunch of the other faiths at the time of, say, Jesus, uh, were all fairly uh, uh, beyond both of those terms. Uh, you know, polytheism was actually developed as a term by Philo, uh, a, a Jewish uh, scholar uh, to describe religions that basically weren't Jewish. Uh, so it had a very broad terminology in that sense. And monotheism was only further developed, uh, you know, in the post-1600s era um, to describe uh, basically Christianity. And so, but the terms as we use them today would not have made sense to people practicing and believing in ancient times. For example, Zoroastrianism is, has what I'd like to call a three, uh, a triple faceted nature. One, it is uh, sort of ontologically, it is polytheist. There is a belief in multiple divinities and so forth. But in reality, uh, you know, it, the deeper you get into it, uh, all those divinities um, God, spirits, what have you, are all emanations of just one singular deity, uh, which is Ahura Mazda, the most high of them all. Um, but it is also ethically dualist. There's a deep belief uh, in virtue uh, versus being unvirtuous. And so... You know, I, I hear people all the time who are just like, ah, yes, Zoroastrianism, dualist faith, or, ah, yes, the first monotheism, or, uh, you know, just another polytheism. But in reality, it was all three and none of them at the same time. In the same way that you find also uh, Greek religion can be outwardly polytheist to us now because we live off the myths, but in its time... Uh, you had movements uh, that believed in one singular emanating deity, like the Neoplatonists, or you had also the Stoics, who didn't particularly care uh, whether or not, uh, 
you know, if there was one god or many gods. And of course, you had also uh, the uh, the uh, uh, Pharaonists who were skeptics, uh, closer to sort of a mix of uh, modern day atheism with Buddhism. And so, a, I think what we forget to uh, realize about the ancient world is how unbelievably diverse it was, just like our own world today. Pablo, with this with this book, um, how much does this book introduce people to Zarathustra? Uh, well, it is possibly the best introduction anyone can have to Zarathustra. Um, we know very I mean, little. Does, does, this, does this end up being, uh, you know, reading this book and, and getting familiar with some of these, uh, some of these works, some of these uh, writings, um, does it, is it the first step into a, a journey of, of learning about where it all came from? Yes, I, w- I would definitely say so. Um, I've, you know, I've had uh, people who have uh, borrowed copies of uh, my book and um, just to see what they would think, a clergy from different faiths, uh, people who study different philosophies and so forth. And I always get them messaging me or emailing me saying, wait a minute, there's something here that is expressed in whatever I study or whatever I believe, but this predates it completely. And that's the thing. Zoroastrianism is and can be said to be the oldest continuously practiced uh, spiritual tradition in the world. And the Gathas themselves are one of the oldest spiritual compositions in existence that still remains fairly intact to us to this day. And so... What it, readers are going to see a lot of what they may already believe in it, and that's uh, that's what I've always found fascinating. Even when I was translating it, already having been a convert and an academic, uh, I couldn't believe some of the stuff I discovered uh, in the translations uh, that were previously unknown. To- what are some of the highlights of- you and I may have grown up with? What are some of the highlights of the, and I'm not sure what to call it exactly, Pablo, if it's ethics or morality, um, that that were introduced to the world from Zarathustra and others from that time period. What What are the things that we know today because they introduced it way back 3,000 years ago. Of course. Zarathustra uh, was, interesting enough, the first to talk about uh, what we in the West would call a, a battle of good versus evil. Okay. Um, but Zarathustra was considered as instead a struggle between virtue and unvirtuousness. Uh, good and evil as words didn't exist back then, but what we consider to be good and evil, those concepts sort of encapsulate that. Um, he, you know, the, the Gathas speak of Asha, which is a sort of life force of the universe, 
that fights against Druj, uh, which is a a creeping illusion that sort of distracts us from living joyful and virtuous lives. And so, you know, to be aligned to Asha uh, and to be enlightened, this is one of the first de- uh, texts that speaks of enlightenment, actually. Uh, Asha is empowered by virtuous thoughts, words, and deeds. And uh, Druj is instead a sort of uh, confusing illusion, sort of uh, when Hindus speak of Maya or we speak of sort of an illusionary world or, you know, simulated reality or what have you. Uh, Druj, which is this concept that Zathustra developed, is, you know, dates way back before any of these ideas. And also the idea that the uh, to truly be unvirtuous, uh, one has to commit acts of malice, greed, tyranny, and wanton destruction. And also, uh, we place such an emphasis on seeking wisdom. And uh, this was the first tradition that we have in recorded history um, that not only was about uh, exploring one's own faith, but also seeking out other faiths. So it, it almost... Uh, you know, presuppose the modern-day interfaith movement, the perennialists, and other types that go out and uh, try to find wisdom wherever they may find it, as Zarathustra actually exhorts uh, his readers uh, and listeners in uh, the Gathas. Uh, we also have, from there, uh, developed ideas of prophethood, as uh, Zarathustra, after the Gathas, was referred to as a prophet, and uh, historically, the first person to be referred to as such. Um, and we have, you know, the idea of focusing your worship towards uh, a high deity, um, which would influence uh, early, fairly polytheistic Israelite religion into reforming itself into what we know today as Judaism. Um, and uh, we have also, it's sort of, influence and declaration um, that, uh, which makes it very different from other texts of his time period, that uh, has an importance on gender equality. Uh, You know, any gender is uh, called to be equals uh, in spiritual and material life, and also the uh, need to educate each other and fight against oppression and take care of the environment. So rationalism can arguably be called the first environmentalist movement simply because it placed such a heavy emphasis on not just worshipping the environment, but making sure it was not polluted and taking care of it. Stewardship of the environment and of animals uh, that live within nature uh, is so crucial that one of the most central things of it and how Zarathustra is sort of called to his mission is that the cow uh, the spirit of the cow representing animal life and livestock calls out to Ahura Mazda asking for aid, for support, for someone to protect them. And as such, this is a religion that's built around basically animals calling for aid from us, uh, you know, and for for us as well, uh, so that we may take care of each other and live in a more harmonious existence. Well, this is absolutely absolutely uh fascinating and and it seems you know hearing you talk about it because you're so knowledgeable it seems way over my head but is it 
No, no, it's actually fairly simple. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to do this translation. Every translation I had to deal with, uh, 20 plus of them, uh, they suffered from one of two issues. One, they were very dry, they were very academic, and anyone who's been in, uh, you know, higher education has seen the exact type, type of text I'm talking about. Uh, super literal, none of the poetry is there, uh, basically a slog to read through. Uh, but the other issue I ended up seeing in translations is uh, people's own biases uh, interpolated into the text, whether it's you know, early 1900s, late 1800s, Orientalists. I wonder. Uh, who to... I wonder about that. Even going back to you know many of the of the books in the Bible. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, most people don't realize that every translation has a piece of the translator in it. Uh, that's undeniable, and I will admit that even for myself, uh, unless you can read it in the original. Um, you're not getting the full and clear picture. So what I try to do here is to make it as accessible and as easy to read for the modern reader as possible. I even included a, a glossary of uh, untranslatable terms to help the reader sort of uh, pick up on certain terminology that may seem absolutely foreign to them. So my attempt here was not to create something that had a larger piece of me or would, you know, win me a, uh, a scholarship or anything like that. What I really wanted to do is create something for the average layperson who is just curious about Zoroastrianism and Zarathustra and the Gathas and can pick up this book at, you know, uh, Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, where have you, and be able to read it just fine, discuss it with their family and friends and it not be an issue or, uh, you know, those dense academic annotated uh, texts that have a billion footnotes and, uh, <laughs> and uh, has more footnotes per page than it actually has content uh, <laughs> to read. So I try to avoid all that so that one could pick this up, read it, and uh, not feel as if they needed to get my sort of advanced degree for it. I'm using basically the uh, tens of thousands of dollars I paid for my education uh, <laughs> to make sure that you get the knowledge for less of that cost, for sure. More with author Pablo Vasquez, straight ahead. Yeah. 
This is the Unknown Comic. And guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now. And now. And now, too. And even now. It's 2022, and this year the Tom Sumner Program begins its 14th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell. East Village Magazine. Flint Institute of Music. Hello, I'm Maestro Ricky DeMeg. Flint Community Schools. MTA Flint. Flint Comics and Entertainment. Hamity Complete Food Center. The Flint River Watershed Coalition. W.H. Weiscarver. The Genesee County Road Commission. Loan Museum Auto Fair. Thomas Appliance. The Genesee Health Plan, Quiplet Technology, My Community College, Pure Michigan. Friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to Tom at TomSumnerProgram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon, they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work, and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, the hugger, and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Ranger Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Do you ever feel like you need an attitude adjustment? Are you wishing there was a magic pill or a new app for your mobile device? Why don't you try live local music? Music can make you dance, bring back fond memories, inspire you to be more creative, whether you attend a child's school concert or recital, go to a local symphony concert, visit local bars and restaurants that feature dance music, sing-along piano, or jazz and blues. Music could be just what you're looking for. Supporting live local music is more than a way to support your local artists and economy. It's a great way to improve your own quality of life. Support live local music. This message is brought to you from the Tom Dana. Dana? Something must be wrong. She never calls. Dana? What's wrong? Take this down. She's stranded on the side of the road. I'm not. She needs us to send her an Amazon gift card. I don't. And she'll use it to pay the tow truck driver. I won't. Mom, Dad, that's not me. It's a scam. Scam artists will call, text, or email people trying to get them to buy a gift card from Amazon or some other company. And then ask for the gift card number over the phone. 
Remember, gift cards are for gifting, not for paying people. If someone asks for payment using a gift card from Amazon, Target, or some other store, it's a scam. Hang up or delete the message. These scammers are awful. Wish they'd pretend to be her brother sometimes. Be nice to hear from him. For more tips on avoiding scams, visit michigan.gov AG for your connection to consumer protection. I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone... I got a feeling something strange is about to happen. In the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More with author Pablo Vasquez, straight ahead. Well, my guest is Pablo Vasquez. The book is Sacred Gaffes of Zarathustra and the Old Aviston Canon. And um, am I saying any of that correctly? No, no, no. I mean, you're saying it fairly all right, especially for a, uh, you know, for a first-timer uh Plus, the, the regional accent gives it a little bit of a kick, no doubt. <laughs> I'm sure. Um, Pablo, I really appreciate you spending this time with me and the listeners and sharing your expertise. Um, but I, I I just feel like uh, in many ways we've, we've only scratched the surface, and I like to give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Um, do you have a website you'd like to share? Of course, yes. Uh, if you want to learn more about my research, particularly uh, when it comes to Zoroastrianism, and also my personal theological insights, because besides being translator and academic, I'm a theologian within my tradition. So uh, if you have any questions, uh, want to read more uh or even just want to contact me and uh, get to know me or get to know anything else about uh, Zoroastrianism, you can visit the website mazdayazni.com. And let me spell that M-A-Z-D-A-Y-A-S-N-I.com. And uh, yes, uh, I also have a podcast, uh, mostly for Zoroastrians, called Zoroastrian Q&A, but it's accessible to anyone who isn't uh, a Zoroastrian, and you can find that on the website as well. And, uh, of course, as mentioned, uh, I have my book coming out, uh, The Sacred Gossips of Zarathustra and the Old Avestan Canon. You can find that at most of your major booksellers, uh, physically and online, uh, including uh, Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, and so forth. Uh, it should be out uh, by the end of next month, but uh, I received news today that Amazon might be releasing any pre-orders conducted uh, before the end of this uh, month or so uh, to um, basically mid-September of to sending it in the mail to folks in mid-September. So if you'd like uh, to get it early, feel free to do that. But yes, that's, uh, that's where you can find me at mazdayazni.com. Uh, and my books, The Sacred Gathas of Satusha and the Old Western Canon, is coming out pretty soon. Well, Pablo, thanks so much for spending this time with me. And uh, by all means, keep up the good work. Thank you so much, Tom. And uh, thanks for having me, of course. 
Take care. Once again, that was uh, Pablo Vasquez. He is the um, uh, author of a book called Sacred Gathas of Zarathustra and the Old Aviston Canon. We'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight <music> It's not any chart You can find it in your heart Never, never land It might be miles Beyond the moon All right stand Just think of lovely things and your heart will fly on wings to never Oh, 
precious father go how fast it went. This is the first day of the last week of the Tom Sumner program and uh, boy I hope they all go like today went. I want to say thanks to uh, everybody who tuned in but I, I want to say thanks to uh, the guests from today's show. I hope you enjoyed the conversation this last hour with Pablo Vazquez. I'm going to try this book talking about the sacred Gathas of Zarathustra and the old Aviston canon. Before that, we talked with uh, Anthony Christian Ocampo. He is a professor of sociology at California State Polytechnic University in Pomona and uh, the author of a uh, book called Brown and Gay in L.A., The Lives of Immigrant Sons. And we started the show out today with uh, somebody from Nat Geo Kids, and it's always fun when we have somebody from National Geographic uh, on the show. Um, Award-winning science journalist Mara Grunbaum uh, wrote a book for National Geographic Kids called Breakdown, which takes a how-things-work look at how things don't work. Anyway, great show. we got more great shows the rest of this week. I hope you'll tune in for this last week. Friday, I think we're going to open the phone lines. We're definitely going to play some of the musical guests from over the last 15 years. Uh, but we got we got good stuff all week. So tune in. And uh, that's Smoking George. Let me know it's time to head on down the hall to the living room. But I will be back tomorrow. I hope you will be too. Good night, everybody. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. 
Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And thanks for listening.